What companies would you want to work for? Just Capital is a nonprofit that tracks which companies are a force for good. Companies like Bank of America, which just earned the prestigious Just Capital 2024 seal. Bank of America is ranked number one in the banking industry and number one for their ongoing commitment to workers, offering best-in-class benefits, including a minimum wage of $25 an hour by 2025. Visit JustCapital.com to learn how a just business is a better business. Furnished by Just Capital. The Radio Forest Podcast. Hey, Forrest, this is Troy Taylor. Question for you. This is serious. Sure. Is it a Ouija or is it a Ouija board? Ouija boards. Ouija is the correct pronunciation? Yeah, that's the right way to say it. Yeah, it's, um, it's French and German for yes combined. Now, I've never used one. And I'll tell you why, honestly, not because of the movie, but because of the story I'd heard behind the movie, The Exorcist, it all might have started because of the Ouija board. And this is where you come in. <laughs> yes, I, um, I, I'm not going to I'm, I'm going to tell you that while there is a, definitely a real story behind this, um, I think there's there's a there is legend mixed with fact. Um, I, I no one's been able to actually verify that the Ouija board started it. Um, I know that there are stories about Roland using it, but we don't know if that's really what caused it to occur. It may have been something else altogether. Uh, and that, I think, is what makes it scarier, is the fact that no one really knows for sure, because this kid didn't invite it in. He certainly wasn't, you know, worshiping the devil or anything, uh, but yet something happened in the story. And uh, I think that makes it scarier, because if he could get possessed, then I guess pretty much anyone could. Um, and I think that's what I think appeals to a lot of people behind the story. I mean, when I first started researching it 25 years ago, I, I honestly was very skeptical about the whole thing. I, I was living in the St. Louis area at the time. I'd heard that this was the, you know, the inspiration for the exorcist, but you know, um, I thought, well, it sounds like an urban legend to me. Uh, but the more I researched, the more I dug, the more people I talked to. And back then, there were still a lot of people alive who were involved in the exorcism, uh, who had given me their firsthand accounts. Uh, I started to realize there was a whole lot more to this story. And the way that it you know, was inspired the exorcist was a, a whole different story altogether. Because the real story began in 1949, and the key here is that it happened in Cottage City, Maryland, which is right outside of Washington, D.C., and William Peter Blatty was in Washington, D.C. at the time this happened, and uh, actually studying to be a priest. And he heard a story about a local boy who had gone through an exorcism. And, you know, things started in the house as, as what seemed to be a haunted house and escalated from there to, you know, things moving around to voices and eventually marks on his body being tied to a bed, the vomiting, the, the voices, the, all that stuff. The family moved to uh, St. Louis where they had relatives hoping this might, you know, shake loose whatever was going on, got worse. Catholic Church got involved, and after six weeks of an exorcism, it seemed to clear things up. Well, Blatty read the story, got interested, got his hands on a copy of the priest's diary, which was kind of an accounting of the exorcism written by one of the priests. He spoke to one of the priests involved in the story, Father Bowdern, and he asked Blatty that if he was going to write about this case, that he not use the boy's name to keep it all a secret. So Blatty took it one step further and changed the identity of the, the lead character from a 13-year-old boy to a 12-year-old girl, making her 
much more sympathetic because, well, and also more believable because, I mean, we've all known 13-year-old boys and hearing them use bad language, yell and smell bad, that's, that's pretty much <laughs> just a 13-year-old boy. So it made it a lot more frightening for it to be a girl. But he actually did take a lot of the material that was in the Exorcist diary and put it right into the movie and right into the book and the movie because he wrote the screenplay for the movie, too. And of course, Hollywood dramatized everything in the real story. There is no head spinning around, no backward walking down the stairs or flying out windows. But a lot of the other stuff did end up, which I think contributed to the fact that it's still considered to be one of the most frightening films of all time because it really was based on a true story. It's Troy Taylor, and we're talking about the new Discovery Plus shock docs, The Exorcism of Roland Doe, which The Exorcism is kind of loosely based about, which is what he's telling me. You know what, Troy? I was just realizing I spoke to Rick Springfield. Now, back in the day, he dated Linda Blair, and I was like, how, oh, yeah, how, yeah. how big was that movie at the time? How big of a star? He said that she was so popular because of that movie. They were at an award yeah. show, and he sees Sir Paul McCartney like waving like, hey, what's up? He's like, oh my God, Paul McCartney knows who I am, and he's waving back. <laughs> he realized Paul was waving at Linda Blair, not Rick Springfield. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. A few years ago, I did a, uh, a panel at Comic-Con about this story. And uh, when the, it was announced that we were going to do this panel, Linda Blair requested to be on the panel. Oh, wow. And it wasn't about the movie. It was about the true story. It was a different documentary I was working on at the time. And they sent us to Comic-Con to do this panel. And she wanted to be on it. And I thought, well, that's cool. I mean, it's not, you know, it's not really about the movie. But when I met her, you know, I mean, my visions in my head were these, you know, this young girl who has, you know, been possessed and she's doing all these horrific things, you know? <laughs> you yeah, know? yeah. And then I meet her and she's this tiny, like the sweetest, kindest, nicest person I think I've ever met, <laughs> you know? And, uh, you know, I get to sit next to her on this panel and it was so funny because I had this guy in the audience got up and was claiming that I just made the whole thing up, you know, ignoring, yeah. all, you know, everybody else. And, before I could even reply to his accusations, Linda jumped in and just started berating this guy, saying, you know, if Troy did all this research, I don't, I don't even know her. I met her like <laughs> a half hour before. You know, she made a fan for life, you know, by jumping in to defend me against this guy at Comic-Con. So, yeah, I get it. I totally get it because everybody wants to talk about The Exorcist with her, you know. After all these years, it's never gone away. It's remained just as popular. I think that has been really good for this documentary when people realize that, you know, it's not just a movie, you know, that, that there is something behind it. There is a history behind this movie that makes it so scary. And a lot of the information on the shock docs, the exorcism of Roland Doe is in Troy's book, The Devil Came to St. Louis. You've got that book. You've got 130 books that you've written, plus a new one, Forlorn Hope, coming out soon. You've got the American Hauntings podcast. You're setting up the Haunted America Conference, not to mention all the horror films that you watch. How many hours a night are you sleeping, man? <laughs> I know, right? Um, well, you know, be surprised. You know, with all this other stuff I do, and I have to explain this to people all the time, like, how do you have time to write all these books? And I'm like, well, this is actually my job. I mean, I'm, you know, when you go to your job for eight hours a day, that's what I do, except... You know, I really love mine. So sometimes it's more than eight hours of the day. You know, it's it's something that I want to do in the evening and on weekends and stuff. So I do it. It's not like work. So it's uh, it is it's it's an odd life. But 
uh, it's a lot of fun, and I really feel lucky to get to do, you know, all the stuff I'm just so interested in that I get to do all the time for fun and for work. But so what, I, I, it's lucky. <laughs> but what brings you more joy, marrying people or portraying Santa to kids? Uh, yeah, I know. I uh, Well, I didn't get to do the Santa thing this year, and I'm, I'm off the wedding circuit. I I did used to do that and it got too weird. Um, what yeah, got weird? Really, what gets weird? Yeah, the, the weddings uh, got weird, and it was just an, an odd. It's an odd job that I did. I thought would be fun, and it just was a little strange. The last one I did was for friends, and I, I've retired from that business. But I really did want to do the Santa thing this year, but COVID stopped me. I had a guy who talked me into it, who is a, a Santa Claus that does you know, portray Santa. He said, dude, you could do this. And I said, okay, I'll give it a shot. And then, you know, pandemic, I didn't get to do it, but maybe next year. But Santa with tattoos, that's got to be tough to pull off, right? Well, I know. Well, I'll be like a hipster Santa. (laughs) Let's say that you have to get rid of one tattoo that you have, and you have to get another one today. Mm -hmm. What would you cover up or erase? And what would you get? Yeah, that's a good question. Um, I do have some more that I want. Um, I don't, I don't think I have anything that I really want to get rid of. Maybe my very first one, because it's, you know, um, I got it when I was like, you know, 18. And so it could probably be covered up with something new. But I, I always have different tattoos of ghosts and things like that that I would love to get. So one of these days, I'll have more room. What was your first one I was going to say? Yeah, it's like a rose I got in Mexico. It was a big mistake. You no, know? no, a rose <laughs> in Mexico is an awesome. That's yeah. what you should get when you're 18. That's awesome. Uh, yeah, well, that's probably the answer then. So, <laughs> <laughs> What did you see at Waverly Hills? What was uh, what happened there? <laughs> yeah, it's um, I, I've been in this business, so to speak, with the tours and the books and all this stuff for about 30 years. But in that time, I've only ever seen one ghost. I am as psychic as a doorknob. I I don't see dead people. The one that I did see, I had no idea at first that it was a ghost, but I was there with a friend of mine. It was before uh, it had opened to the public. I mean, now you can go there and, you know, take a ghost tour and things, but the people that own it had just bought it fairly recently at that time. And we hadn't opened it to the public yet. And but a buddy of mine took me on, a, on our own personal tour of the place, and we were walking down a hallway on the fourth floor. And as we were walking, this guy just looked as real and as solid as you or I just walked across the hallway in front of us. Never looked at us, just walked straight ahead from one side of the hallway to the other, from one room into a room on the other side. And at that moment, someone screamed, and it was me. I, I'm not kidding. I'm not, I'm not too proud to admit that I was just freaked, completely freaked out, not expecting this. But once it, you know, things calmed down, I realized that somebody had broken into the place and we needed to tell them that they had to leave. I mean, they were getting break in all the time. So we walked to the room, we walked to the doorway and we just about to tell this guy, hey, buddy, you can't be in here and realized that the room was empty and there was no other door leading out of the room except for the one we just walked through. Wow. And that was at the point where I decided that I had seen enough of the building for that night. That was my uh, end of the night for me. That is what I saw at Waverly Hills. That's my, that's my only real ghost I've ever seen. And somebody asked me uh, if that was, you know, probably my scariest moment. And I'd have to say probably so. Wasn't there another place, though, that you didn't spend the night that you started at? Wasn't there yeah, something else? Yeah, the, the, Bell Witch, the Bell Witch Cave in Tennessee, uh, one of my favorite ghost stories. And I've been there a number of times since then. And I'd even been there before that. But I had the opportunity to actually spend the night in the cave. 
I didn't make it. I, <laughs> I didn't make it. I thought that I would stay the whole time. And, um, you know, I wasn't going to, it was just too much. It was just too weird. I don't claim to be psychic or anything. This place has got a bad vibe. You know, after about the 10th time that I heard a sound I could not explain, even being in a cave, couldn't explain, I decided I'd had enough. This is the ghost story where the, the ghost actually killed someone. So I thought, mm, yeah, I don't think I want to be number two on, <laughs> on, on the ghost list. So we're going to let this one go. I've been there since, but that night, I wouldn't repeat that one. I know you've done quite a few ghost tours and gone on things like this, and obviously you're submerged in the genre. You run into these types of things. If you really kind of only have two huge stories, one time you only really saw something, what do you mm -hmm. usually come across if you're convinced something is happening? Is it like EVPs? Is it just creepy feelings? Is it usually nothing? No, not, not necessarily, because I've had plenty of, plenty of times where I have been at places and there are, you know, one, okay, for instance, one night I was, um, I was spending the night at the Ohio State Reformatory in Mansfield. I was just wandering the place. There were other people there, but I was wandering the place on my own. And I went into the uh, what used to be the old library, and I was just kind of sitting in there. You know, I mean, I like to do that. I like to go to places and just kind of experience them. And you, you never know if anything will happen. And usually they, it doesn't, but sometimes it does. And I was sitting in it pitch dark in there. I'm sitting in the room, and I heard someone walk in. I don't want to scare somebody to death. So I turned on my flashlight, and I said, hey, uh, I just wanted you to know someone living was in here. Ha ha, you know, to make a joke about it. And no one answered. And so I, you know, I shined the light around to see, you know, why they'd stopped walking when I started talking and if there was someone still there. And there was no one in the room with me. But those footsteps were clear. I clearly heard them. There was no mistaking it. And, you know, I've been, I've had other experiences there too. I've had experiences at lots of places with, you know, voices and being touched in places. I mean, having someone tap me on the shoulder, someone tug on my clothing pull my hair, uh, footsteps lots of times in old theaters, in old buildings. So, I mean, I've experienced enough stuff to understand why people have encounters at these locations. Um, even though, like I said, I'm not a psychic, so I don't know if that's ever going to be something that happens to me again. I mean, for all I know, I've seen lots of ghosts, but I don't know it because we don't know. Because this guy that I saw at Waverly Hills certainly didn't look like a ghost. He wasn't wearing a sheet and rattling a chain. He wasn't see-through. He wasn't, you know, disappearing before his feet hit the floor. He just looked like a guy. I mean, lots of people have encounters like that where they see a figure that they thought was a real person, and it turns out that there's nobody there. That happens a lot. In fact, most ghost sightings happen that way or happen during the day. That's the other thing. We always have this idea that, you know, ghosts should only be out at night because that's spooky and creepy. But the thing is, most of the time when people encounter spirits and things, it happens in the course of a regular day. The majority of stuff happens during the day rather than at night. I've had a couple of things happen, and it's very similar to what you were saying. It was during the day, and um, I didn't think anything of it at the time because it was just like a real person to me. But mm -hmm. I was uh, in my grandmother's house, which is uh, over 100 years old. It's an old farmhouse in the East Coast. The family was there, and I didn't know everybody was, so I walk in. I'm like, hey, is anybody inside? And I heard somebody walk upstairs from one side of the house to the other. And I go, oh, they're upstairs. Cool. You know? And then I ran up the staircase, and then nobody was yeah. there. And then I went, right. oh, my God. Uh, like, yeah. And I, and I thought <laughs> in my head, like, that's ah, an old house. Like, they creak. And especially, like, if, if the, heat sure. the heat comes on, it moves a board. I mean, a board might be 20, 30 feet mm -hmm. in a floor. 
And then I realized when I got up there, everybody was outside behind the house and I wasn't expected. I didn't go in being scared. Oh my God, I'm by myself. It's like, hey, anybody in here? Oh, everybody's upstairs. And then it turns out I was like, about crap my pants because then I realized everybody's outside. <laughs> I heard something yeah. that I didn't at the time think it was. I didn't think it was supernatural. It just was a person sure, walking. Right, but right. I bet a lot of people hear and see stuff, but it's it wasn't out of the ordinary. A person walked across the floor. Exactly. Exactly. Very innocuous kinds of things. And we don't even equate them to ghosts or any kind of hauntings or anything like that. It just things happen. And a lot of times you don't know what has happened until it's over. Maybe you never figure it out at all. That's always been my thought, too. Makes you wonder how many stories, you know, haven't been told yeah. uh, because people didn't realize what happened to them. Now, so, when I have an experience yeah. like that and it's just me and then I tell you, you're like, well, I, heard, I talked to a guy and he said he heard somebody walk. Sure. So, you know, maybe he was scared. Maybe he was young. Who knows? The human memory is inaccurate. So when you're going back to the exorcism of Roland Doe, is it hard to find reliable information from something that happened more than 70 years ago? It is now. Um, I mean, I've really got to have something that is, you know, some kind of documentation, some kind of letter, some kind of report, some kind of something. But I mean, 25 years ago, it wasn't as hard because there were still people alive. There's an interview in the documentary that I did with the, with the Alexian monk six years ago was still alive and was there and was adamant about what he'd seen. And his thing was, is that he had never been able to tell the story because the church had always wanted things to be kept quiet. And he'd never been able to tell what he had experienced. He wanted to tell it. He had cancer. He was in his late 80s. He was dying. He knew he didn't have long to live, wanted to tell the story. He didn't tell it like, well, this is what could have happened or this is what it seemed like. He was adamant about it. He'd never forgotten it. It left such an impression on him that He's put in charge of helping to hold this boy down onto the bed and then told me that the boy levitated 12 inches off the mattress. There was no hesitation here. This is something he knew he'd seen. He'd never forgotten it. And he was quite elderly at this point. But boy, when it came to hearing his story and what he had experienced, he had no doubt in his mind what had happened or that the boy was demonically possessed. He truly believed that as well. That was a pretty convincing story. Why would he make it up? You know, why would he lie? At that point I mean, in his life, there's to nothing me. to gain. He's not selling yeah, anything or not going on radio right. tours or sitting exactly. on t- TV shows. Exactly. I wonder if Roland then, like, on his deathbed, was ever, like, scared, like, dude, don't let me go. I, yeah, I know I for know. a fact I, there's I, demons yeah. out there. I'm a little worried. The thing about it is, though, is that I interviewed him about 10 years ago. Really? And the problem was for him, yeah, the problem for him was that he did not remember what happened during the rituals. I mean, he remembered the people and the places. I mean, his family was from St. Louis, so he remembers being there. But he even soon after, even shortly after, did not remember what happened during the exorcism itself, which, as it turns out, I've learned from a priest who is an exorcist that that's very common. He told me, I don't remember what happened. And when people tell me about it, it means nothing to me. It's like hearing about someone else's life. Yeah. You know, all he wanted to do was to maintain his privacy, which he did. And he passed away last year. You know, he was 85 years old, but he'd lived a very normal, you know, long, very normal life. Whatever was going on, whatever happened to him, whether it be, you know, uh, a mental illness or possession, whatever happened, it was miraculously cured after six weeks of an exorcism. Without any kind of medicine, without any kind of treatment, he went on to have a great life. He graduated college. He had a family. He got married. He went into the space industry. 
He has a patent on the shielding that NASA uses for its rockets to get through the Earth's atmosphere and into space without burning up. I mean, he invented that. Name is on the patent. So you're saying like if he would have had some sort of uh, mental breakdown or something going on that he needed to be medicated, which can happen. People have hallucinations, hear hear things, think things aren't real. It never happened again. It should continue to happen throughout his life. You can't cure that stuff. All you can do is treat it. You can't cure schizophrenia uh, or disorder, schizophrenia or something. All you can do is treat the symptoms. He didn't have any more. So if that's what it was, then somehow he was miraculously cured of that. If you want to leave out demons, that's still pretty darn weird. Yeah. You know, you yeah. know how, how that would happen. Was he able to live kind of anonymously then? And yes. the exorcist fans didn't find out where he lived? No. In fact, until just a few years ago, his name wasn't even available. It was kept very secret for a very long time. And I don't use his name just because as long as he was alive, that was something that I did not want to do. And I know he's passed away since then, but I feel like that protecting his privacy at this point is more important than just running around using his name everywhere. I don't understand the point behind that. He just wanted privacy. The church wanted him to have his privacy, which is why they didn't publicize this widely when it happened. Some of the priests involved wish they would have been able to talk about it more because they felt that it would be good for people to hear. I mean, look, when The Exorcist came out and people were going to see it in theaters, I don't think there's a better marketing a thing for the Catholic Church than The Exorcist. <laughs> you no, know? yeah. I think it probably put more people in Catholic Church pews than anything ever has. So the priests wanted to talk about it and were never really able to. But I think mostly that was because they wanted to protect this boy's privacy. And, you know, as he grew into a man, and he, he kept that. There were no obituaries or death notices or anything else printed when he passed away. I don't think he wanted any, and his family respected his wishes. Check out the book, The Devil Came to St. Louis, a lot about what we're talking about. And now on Discovery Plus, it's streaming Shock Docs, The Exorcism of Roland Doe. We're with Troy Taylor, author, podcast host, ex-Santa minister, I guess you could say. (laughs) (laughs) Troy, congratulations on the documentary. And you got that new book, Forlorn Hope. When do you think that's coming out? It's coming out in March. It'll be out next month. Thanks for the stories today. Yeah, thanks a lot. I appreciate it.